Imperfect Discourse, the podcast, a place for conversation, questions, and thought-provoking ideas, co-hosted by Isaac and Daniel, two lifelong friends with unique perspectives, life experiences, and captivating dialogue. This is Episode 5, Season 1. Greetings, Daniel. Good morning, Isaac. How you doing? I'm doing great. Got that first cup of coffee on a beautiful morning here, and uh, I'm ready to continue our, our conversation and keep building upon... Uh, this first season of Imperfect Discourse, as we as we continue to dive into and look at the the overarching theme of is there such thing as a good man? Mm-hmm. Now, let's do it. Yeah. So episode five, we're gonna we're gonna dive into to three areas: knowing your past, your present, and your future. Uh, I was reading a book, and this quote kind of jumped out at me by Helen Keller: "Is there anything worse than blindness? Oh yes, a person with sight and no vision." Mm. Yeah. I think, you know, that's almost a double entendre taking, you know, into Helen right. Keller's personal experience and context. And then, and then you know, if you look at it from a more uh, meta- metaphorical way of thinking about looking at something but no vision, which which I almost take that to be no no aim looking, looking right. forward, which which kind of looks at the the last point we're going to get to on, on a future or, or a vision looking towards something. Um, something I found really, really fascinating is, is breaking down, looking at your past, present, and future is knowing your past, I think gives a, a good understanding of, of where you've been. And I think mm. it provides a very interesting perspective or a window into where you're at and why you're, and why you're finding yourself in the place you're currently at. Oh yeah, absolutely. I found that, um, there's a, there's an excellent personality test and I, I think these can really, really start to unpack or, or show, show, show the, the different areas that contribute or make up who a person is. And I think that's an, an essential part of that, of that look back right at the past. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's important to, you know, I, I you know, a lot of these personality tests, at least the, one, the more reputable, one, reputable ones, um, I think they're an endeavor in trying to better understand the ways in which you interact with the world and the people around you. And unless you have some sort of um, clarity on like what your tendencies are and what are the things that, that are your strong suits, what are the things that you struggle with, unless you know those things, it's really hard to kind of establish where you're at. And it's like, if you don't know where you're at, you don't know where you're going to go. So, um, and yeah, it's a lot of that stuff comes from, your past experiences and the different things that you've maybe struggled with or traumatic experiences that you've experienced. So trying to get a hold on all of that is, is super helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I think you, you hit on something there, like, you know, looking back and with, with assessments, right. You know, I think one, uh, one good caveat, right. One good clarification to, to tests in general or personality traits. When you look at, when you look at them as a, is a means to, you know, kind of understand yourself as, you know, you're taking a, a very, a very large thing, right. Built for, built for a large mass, right. And you're, you're trying to contextualize some of the information that it would, um, would push out and conclude at the end of that assessment about a person, right. They, they're not the, the be all end all, right. I think right. there's, there's a lot of self-exploration and even, you know, professional, uh, coaches or, and whatnot that can really, help to like unpack that with someone, right? Yeah. If, if that's the, the avenue you need to go in. One of the personal, oh, sounds like you might have had Yeah, it. well, I just had a thought that kind of came to mind. I think that sometimes people um, look at these personality tests as 
I'm going to take this personality test and it's going to tell me who I am and then that's who I'm going to be. That's not the way that these work, or at least that shouldn't be. I think what they should be used for is this um, trying to gain better insights about who it is that you are, understanding that these things are not going to be, they can be close, they can be super helpful, but it's not determining your personality. It's trying to give you a window into what your personality already is like. Because I've seen people um, kind of have like a deterministic approach to this and be like, oh, well, that's who I am. It's like, well, I, I don't know that it's 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 necessarily um, telling you who you are. It's more showing you like this is what we see. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's that's a really important way to look at it, right? It's, it's, it's telling us what we see, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's, you know, obviously based on the, the data that the, the, you know, the respondent or the person taking the survey or assessment puts in, right. You're going to obviously get something out that's close to that. And I, I think you, you really started to like get, get, get into the meat of the, the idea here of it, it kind of shows in a way, right. And I kind of shows parts of you, that tend to show up a lot, mm -hmm. right? And it's not by by any means an aspect or a way to go, well, if this personality test says, you know, I've got these interests or mm -hmm. these, these, these hobbies or, or this, you know, these traits, mm -hmm. therefore I, I must even more so do those. Right. I think it can be a way to look at it and start to understand these are the qualities or areas that are the strongest or really show up the right. most. And then I think it's also important, right, to recognize the areas where you might not be as high on the scale. Mm -hmm. I, I don't want to use a phrase lacking there because I think that could come across as it's almost a value judgment, right? Value judgment. And I think it's a it's an important part because you need, you know, multiple personality types mm -hmm. and specialties and interests to make up any sort of organization, any sort of you know, relationship is, is almost in a way I've heard it said, you know, you need somebody that has that your weaknesses, they need to have those as probably their strengths. Right. right? Yeah. Cause I mean, how boring would it be to, you know, just hang out with yourself all day in another form? That'd be worse. It'd be I mean, the worst. <laughs> <laughs> no, thanks. It, that's a level of neuroticism. That is <laughs> you, you've really got to be full of yourself to, to want to hang out with a clone or something. Right. And I think to dive into this, one of the, one of the, uh, personality tests that I found that that I think really really broke it down and then showed kind of like good indicators of 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 what these kind of show where where these things lie and then reflecting back even when I've when I've taken this particular one was going oh now I understand why I'm this way or have this interest or or the reason I'm more of an analytical person oh that makes sense because of this right and it's not to say, oh, I have to be analytical, but it's a way to go like, okay, that makes more sense why I'm kind of that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the personality test that I'm referencing is, is referred to the, the the big five. And it was uh, made famous by Jordan Peterson, and it came out years ago. And there's been some really excellent academic research and publications around this uh, personality trait test. And the the first one I want to talk about is neuroticism. And that's kind of broken down into two things, volatility or withdraw. And I just kind of, you know, when you, when you think of neuroticism, you know, or the subcategories, volatility or withdraw, 
just kind of like, where, where do you go with that? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, I think that oftentimes, um, again, it's, it's kind of hard to have these, uh, these conversations because these, these terms are kind of loaded. They, they kind of have a negative connotation, which I don't think is necessarily helpful. Um, but I think, you know, when you, when you look at it for what it is that it's trying to, to say, I think what it's saying is it's just, you have the tendency to, to maybe, um, experience uh, larger swings on an emotional scale. Sure. Um, and have a tendency to maybe withdraw from, uh, uh, social interactions. Yeah. And I, it, it breaks down. I've, I'm, uh, I've got the academic research in front of me because, I mean, it's, a, it's an incredibly long academic peer-reviewed paper, of course, and they break down volatility. There's some, there's some more points there. They talk about, you know, getting angrily easy or getting upset or, or easily agitated it can be stirred up easily, um, but they rarely lose composure. So I think you hit on it there. It's, it seems like it's a much more emotional means of, of looking at the components within, within the, within the five main points of, of the personality trait test. And I think when they break down with, uh, withdraw, it's like not feeling blue or filled with doubts about things or really feeling depressed, worrying about things. And I, it's kind of interesting how it seems even with the, the sub definitions of volatility or withdraw, there's almost things that juxtapose or sit on what, what seems like opposite ends of, you know, really rarely losing your composure versus getting angrily easily mm-hmm. and how that relates to volatility. And right. maybe that's a, you know, a positive versus a negative or, or one side of a, of a score or, or another. And I think, I think that's kind of even interesting. Yeah. Well, and once again, it's like, you know, <clears throat> I think that there's maybe a tendency to look at that and, and just assume a negative connotation, but I think, you know, a better way to look at it is it's just, it's, it's describing, um, a pendulum on which, you know, people like, you know, if, if, uh, if you're high in neuroticism, that it's possible that your pendulum is going to swing a little further than most people, you know, and that may not necessarily be a bad thing. Um, it may just be something you need to be aware of. Right. Yeah. Cause even, even this breaks down. I mean, you think about someone gets easily agitated or someone who, you know, changes or displays more emotions, right? I can think of thousands, thousands of situations where displaying emotion is an incredibly positive thing, right? You know, you think of, you know, if you accomplish something, say you, you've been working really hard to start a business and it's the first day you're going to, you know, turn the key over and, or you get your first client or you finally, you know, complete that college degree. It's like, those are very much positives. And I, I think it's, we were talking about this, you know, before we started recording earlier was, Sometimes, you know, emotions almost get hampered mm-hmm. where it's like they shouldn't be displayed. And I, we talked about a little bit in a previous podcast about how it's almost an expectation of man. And I think, you know, when we look at the overarching theme of is there such thing as a good man, like it is good to be able to display emotion. But I think the caveat there in a healthy way. In a healthy way and at an appropriate time. You know, I think that's the thing that that maybe gets missed, um, is that, you know, I think maybe we had had this conversation off air, but like the idea of, um, you know, as men, like there, there are times and places for things. And, you know, if you're in the middle of, if you're in the middle of a, 
of a time sensitive um, thing, like maybe it's not the time and place to, to sit and discuss feelings, right? And I'm thinking about like, you know, if you're on a fire line or if you're, you know, in a foxhole with somebody, like, you know, like there are times and places where maybe it's not the appropriate time to have that, but it doesn't mean that you shouldn't have it. That's the thing, you know, it's like, and I think that's the thing that men have kind of taken away is they go, well, there are situations in which I need to be accomplishing a task and and dealing with the situation at hand because it it needs it. Maybe you know, even people's lives depend on it. And so I'm going to compartmentalize my emotions and deal with um, the situation at hand. That's fine, but you still have to make time to deal with those emotions, right? And so it's like, you know, taking time to process is is going to be really important for for stuff like that. Yeah, and as we we talked a little about the episode before this, in episode four, I believe, that that inner circle, right? The idea that being able to process it and break down and, and really show some some vulnerability, right? Invite the opportunity for trust to show up in a relationship because that's, I think, really where the roots of a great friendship can start, mm-hmm. right? And, it, and it, I think that's also how it is maintained, right? And and I think about areas of, you know, kind of moving on here with withdraw. One of the things is not easily embarrassed or easily discouraged. And it seems like, again, two, two other sides of the pendulum, you know, if, if you're going to go out there and you're going to try a new idea, right? I, you know, we talked earlier about the the impressionists, right? The great artists who, thank God they came about because their art's incredible and we needed that change. But you think about, you know, not easily embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Like they, they were, they were not welcome to display their art. Right. Right. And they were kind of like, why are you doing that? They could have been, you know, very embarrassed that they weren't accepted by the, by the, by the, you know, the art culture in, in Paris, but instead it's like the, the ability or, or what that brought. And it's like, there's a very positive or very good carrying out of that as a possibility. Mm -hmm. I mean, as a um, personality trait rather that you see that it's like, what a, what a great, what a great thing being able to not be embarrassed easily Mm -hmm. provided for art. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you know, I think that having that uh, that fearlessness to um, to not be too self conscious when it comes to stuff like that, you know, that's something that I really struggle with. Like, I I'm very kind of inside my head all the time and, and very self conscious about everything and just constantly like um, analyzing. And it 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 provides this kind of like you get this paralysis by analysis, right? Like you just kind of get stuck. In, in things and you know uh, there are times and places where that's that's not helpful yeah and I think you know as as someone who's who's ventured out and would probably consider yourself an entrepreneur and, if, and try endeavors and, and try things it's it's a good and a bad right mm-hmm. it's it's the idea that you obviously need to be cautious right and mitigate risk because the worst thing you want to do is is you know put all your eggs in one basket is the same you don't want to put all of your capital and means of investment in some wild whim on a Friday night. And then you wake up, you know, two months later and there's nothing mm-hmm. and you go, well, that was probably bad. And it's, it's something I've heard about uh, with entrepreneurs and starting their businesses. Like you need double the cash you think and double the time. Yeah. It's going to take a whole lot longer. than you even <laughs> Oh man, that, uh, that is so, so true. That is 
I can can I can uh, confirm that that's the case. Do you have yeah. anything you would uh, love to love to love to break down there on that? Um, I mean, I guess the thing that comes to mind is that uh, whenever we think about executing an idea or a task or a business, um, when you break it down into to your ideas of, or into like manageable pieces, what winds up happening is you you almost think about those manageable pieces in in almost like a like a laboratory environment, right? Like you go, okay, well, I'm going to need commercial space for my business. Okay. And you go, well, that should be as simple as finding a commercial space and, you know, signing a lease agreement and then opening the door and and there you go. But the reality of it is that there's all of this negotiation that, that oftentimes, you know, in, in our particular situation, it's, uh, we went rounds and rounds with our property management company on, um, carpet replacement. And that was months, you know, we were told that we were going to, you know, walk into a place that had brand new carpet. And, uh, you know, three months later, carpet's still the same, you know, you, you spend all of this time in emails back and forth and you're struggling. It's like, do we move stuff in? We're going to have to move stuff around if we, you know, move stuff in and then they decide to change the carpet and we have to move stuff out. And the, it's a whole thing. And, and so during that time, did you have the the property under like contract and so you're paying rent or no we were waiting on it we were so, you, yeah. so you're waiting to start your business so we're waiting to start for three months yeah for three months and then eventually it just got to the point where we were like we can't wait any longer so we had to move in and lo and behold they're like well you moved in There's, we can't can't change the carpet so you know so it's like you go from this like kind of laboratory idea of like okay well i just need to find a, a commercial space and that turns into a four-month-long process of like it's never as simple as you think it's going to be. And the problem with that is that that's not stuff that you can necessarily plan for. And so you have to have a certain amount of uh, ability to to kind of roll with the punches with, with that type of stuff because it's never going to be what you think it's going to be. Yeah, so it, it kind of seems like, you know, part of being an entrepreneur is not getting discouraged easily. And oh, I would, yeah. I would even jump out there and I don't think it's that big of a jump as you've mentioned earlier a little bit about a background and experience with sales. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things where, you know, my understanding is you better better be ready for most every door to get shut on your face. Oh, yeah. And that's just I part of the business. Mm-hmm. And yeah. if you're an easily, obviously discouraged person, probably that is not going to be a business venture or career that probably would, would work the best because yeah. you're going to quit. Yeah. Well, you know, that's interesting because to tie this back to the, to the personality um, thing, I was that easily discouraged person when I, when I got into sales. Um, but I didn't have a ton of other opportunities at the time. And I was very passionate about not starving. And so it was one of those things where it's like, well, I I guess you just have to figure out how to not, you know, get discouraged too much. And and it was definitely a, something that I continue, like I struggled with the entire time, but eventually, you know, uh, you kind of learn to adapt like the human body and brain is, is amazing. Like you will adapt to the situation that you're put in. And so, you know, in looking at these things, you know, like I would say that I'm probably very, very high in agreeableness, you know, um, which is compassion yeah. and politeness. Right? Yeah. And we're going to, let's, let's move on there. Yeah. I think, think under agreeableness, right. It breaks down to compassion and compli- uh, compassion and politeness and under compassion, right. There's there's even there's even polar ends of that that the pendulum we've referenced that mm-hmm. idea of you know you've got take they take no times for others or they take interest in other people's lives 
And, you know, when you first hear those, you're like, oh, you should, you know, probably take interest in other people's lives. Well, take, you know, if you take no time for other people's lives, there's jobs, right? We, mm-hmm. we referenced this earlier. You know, if you're going to sit in a, I don't know, like a, like a submarine under the sea for mm-hmm. six or seven months out of the year, I mean, other than the people around you, like you better, you better, I mean, you kind of have to take no time for other people because mm-hmm. well, when you can, or if, or if you're just going to code all day or something. Right. But on the other side, you know, if you're in a, if you're in a business where, or you're wired personality wise, like kind of what we're talking about here of, if you really need that human to interaction, well, obviously you want to know about people and that's important. And, you know, you think about people who are very, very extroverted, very outgoing, mm-hmm. very much love to be the life of the party. Those people just know all about people, right? Cause they're talking, they're involved in their lives and, you know, it's, they're very relationship heavy. And I think, you know, that's something you really see with people who are, great connectors, right? There was a book, um, Malcolm Gladwell is a very famous writer and he wrote a book and he references this idea of like a maven and there, there kind of equates it to like this, this connector of people with ideas of, I would almost say like what is considered like social capital, which is basically just, they know a lot of people right. and that is, that is their asset. They're, they're like the great, you know, they're the great hub to this book and wheel concept. And if you're somebody who really excels in in being involved in people's lives i mean those are those are good sub traits mm-hmm. and i think often you know when you when you first read this someone's like well that person's not as compassionate well right that might not necessarily be a bad thing when you when you dive in and spend time and i think it's a really positive thing to understand that if you are really good at, you know, if you're fine with being in, you know, solitude alone and, and sitting behind a computer screen, it doesn't somehow make you a, a bad person, right. right? Because that that seems too present of an idea. But like, it does show that you might need somebody in your life who enjoys being around people. Right, right. Yeah. And I think, you know, one thing to, to kind of, um, to touch on is, is to say that, you know, these, uh, these ideas or these, um, these categories of, of personality traits, where we naturally fall does not mean that you can't learn the, the opposite of it, you know, because as I was mentioning earlier, like one of the things that made sales so difficult for me is that I'm a, I'm a very agreeable person. Like I'm very compassionate, very empathetic, like, but in sales, there are times when you need to learn to be disagreeable. And so one of the things that I really took away from, from my, um, sales experience early on was the ability to, or or was the fact that it it forced me into positions where I needed to make changes that ultimately helped me um, in other aspects of my life, you know, because like, you know, maybe I'm too agreeable, you know, and being able to learn when it's appropriate to actually be disagreeable can be very, very helpful. Yeah. And I think that's, that's an important part is, is understanding there's times when it's it's necessary to either throttle down or throttle up something, right? You know, if if you're obviously if you're trying to negotiate a contract, you need to relatively be disagreeable mm-hmm. because you're trying to come to conclusions with ideas that all parties engage and walk away going, we got a good deal. Right. Right. Clearly the opposite of buying a car where nobody walks by going, I got a good deal. But anybody <laughs> tells when they got a good deal. So that that's something. Yeah. At least you've been told. <laughs> at least you've been told, right? 
And, and then under the idea of politeness, I think this is, this is where I think you really see an interesting one. Cause I think of, you know, like politeness being like you respect, respect for authority or the, mm -hmm. I think the, the flip side is you insult people. Think about the great comedians, right? If they got up there and all they did was, you know, which is yes, man. And, and right. we're just fanboys to, to everything going on. Right. I mean, talk about an incredible part of society yeah. that we would lose out on oh, without yeah. the ability to to have comedy if people weren't fine with insulting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, that's, a, that's the other part of like, you know, <laughs> there does come a time, like the idea of, a, of agreeableness and, and compassion and politeness, it works so long as you believe that every situation is a pleasant one in which that is appropriate. And as I've learned, you're going to experience times where politeness is not the answer. You know, there are some people who do need to be um, put in check and told that their behavior is not appropriate. You know, and if you are too polite, then you're never going to be the person to to do that. And and so, you know, going back to this idea of like these these things are telling or these these tests are telling you something about yourself, they're they're descriptive. They're not prescriptive, right? It's not prescribing like, oh, this is the way that you need to be. This is saying, hey, this is a description of 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 the way that your personality kind of shows up in the world. And if you are maybe too too high in one, it might be worthwhile to to stop and say, okay, well, what ways am I maybe missing out by not having uh, access to the other side of that? Because that's that you know, sales is what did that for me. Um, you you have to learn to be somewhat disagreeable at times, and you have to learn to be, you know, somewhat extroverted. I'm wildly introverted, you know, and it's like, good luck having a career in sales if you're wildly introverted. You have to find parts of you that that can that can uh, that can access that uh, that other side of things. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a, I think again the the opportunity for change or growth as a person, like we've previously spent an extensive amount of time talking about, is this this shows like you're saying it's descriptive, and then you can go okay, I see that I'm very high on, you know, like you mentioned, uh, you know, kind of introverted. Well, you know, to get better at sales, I should probably learn how to talk to people, and. Like I can find myself being very high in disagreeableness mm. and it, it kind of shows up. And if you're very analytical, it can come across as, oh, this person does not care. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, think of great accountants, economists. Mm -hmm. uh, I was reading a book and it's, you know, very data heavy recently. And someone could easily reason be like, well, they don't care about the person. Right. Right. Well, no, I, I kind of like what my economists do and, and people who look at stocks and, and accountants because- at a point, right, you need somebody who's very analytical mm -hmm. and that isn't a heavy trait that overlaps in them because at the end of the day, one plus one is always two. Right. It doesn't matter how you feel about it. Right. So would you say that because you're, um, because you're high in disagreeableness, right, would you say that you've had to become more aware of like developing the other side of that? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's something that I consciously, obviously, it is much harder to work on, right? Mm -hmm. For me, you know, 
looking how to analytically step back and, and take a moment before making action is, is, is a default, right? Right. For me, that's just no big deal mm-hmm. to, to, to really work on investing and creating relationships and being intentional is something I have to be very aware of and work on. Right. And what's the incredible thing is you find that when you couple what you're good at and areas you can work on, you find out you can even be that much more powerful and not in the, you know, tyrannical sense, but it allows you to like really invest in deep in connections and, and places you go because it allows you to to use something you're really good at and something you you're not as high on and really combine those two. See, and this is the thing that I think that that we're trying to to point out about these personality tests is that like what we're discussing right now, it's giving us the opportunity to recognize like oh this is the way that I naturally am. These are kind of my default settings. Therefore, I need to be aware of the inverse of these. And maybe I need to develop those and, and and work on those. And it's really hard to not, or it's really hard to to know what it is that you're trying to work on if you don't have some sort of framework. If you don't have a map, then you're saying, okay, this is actually where I'm at. So this is where I need to go, and this is what I need to. This is the route that I need to take to get there. Yeah, back in the you know the the early days of uh, GPS units. So this was oh. Probably 14, 15 years ago, I remember for my 13th birthday, right? I, I saved up all this money. It's probably like 130 bucks. And I went to the outdoor store and I bought bought my first Garmin something, you know, baseline model. I was like mm-hmm. 12 or 13, you know, a lot of money. That was the coolest thing. And all it would give you is like breadcrumbs. It would it would show you where you've been. Oh, and then the yeah. only other option <laughs> you could add was a was a, a lat and longitude or, or a coordinate where you wanted to go, right? Well, Kind of like we're talking here. There's very little context of, of where the heck you're at right now. It just shows you where you've been, which is really helpful, right? Because because in this, it kind of goes like, well, now I get at least a clue of like where I've been and how I got here. Right. And kind of what we're, we're saying here is like it's important to to have some context at it. And it's it's hard to know where you're at if you can't look back like you were, you were mentioning. And with that GPS is, you know, it would be like if I dropped you out and, you know, out in the forest, right up in the woods and blindfolded you. And then you just found yourself and you're like trying to put things together. And you might not even know that, you know, the cabin you're trying to get to is a mile away. Right. All you got to do is walk, you know, straight, straight right. in front of you. But if you have no clue how you got there, where you've been, you're going to spend a lot of time kind of floundering around. Right. Yeah. And that's what makes these, um, these tests really, really helpful. You know, I have yet to do this test in particular. Um, it does seem like this one is like one of the most comprehensive. I've done the uh, Myers-Briggs test and the Enneagram. I've done those. And I, I get I get pretty consistent results from them when I – from both of them. Yeah. And I mean both of those, right? There, I would never say there's a definitive assessment, right? right? Yeah. And it a lot of assessments, right? Obviously, I would caution on just assessment heavy because I think there's a there's very good assessments. And if you get somebody to help contextualize and, and break those down or, or really dive in and like a lot of them now provide incredible pages of feedback on things. And, and they kind of do that contextualization of what you're looking at because it's like you now you're given data. Well, contextualize, like help me understand right. what you're looking at. Right. And I'll keep moving here is uh, conscientiousness. And this is broken down into either industriousness or orderliness. And like industriousness, a um, couple things here is, uh, let's see here, uh, waste waste of time or very good at carrying out things, right, would be would be polar ends. And, you know, can all think of that person who, 
loves to, you know, go traveling and not really make a plan and they just get lost walking all over a city all day. Like it could seem like a waste of time to somebody that is very, very rigid, very, very hard organized. But like, you know, for me, I found some of the most fun I've had is like, I'll be traveling in a, in a, in a city and I'll be like, I'm just going to go walk around for three hours Mm -hmm. and see where I end up. And I'll just grab an Uber when I get to where I want to go back to my hotel. There's a loose plan there. Right. I just walk around and see what I see. So, one of the a couple of the subcategories here industriousness and orderliness it seems i would i would say that we're probably both pretty high in this yeah you I, like your you like your things a certain way oh yeah i, I yeah. very much like my things a certain way um i would say i'm very much this breaks down to things like finishing what you start mm-hmm. or you have a very good clue of what you're doing or you're very good at co- accomplishing tasks yeah um i would say i'm very high in industriousness in the in the in the plus category because mm-hmm. this kind of looks at plus and then like a negative score mm-hmm. kind of like category and shows you either you're high in this area or you're low in this area right and yeah i think there's you know depends on where you fall right i'm much more i'm very high in industriousness and and look down on orderliness as well mm-hmm. but if you come to the point where it's you know you you go ocd where it's right. crippling right and i think 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 we've hinted at it and danced around but like if if something becomes a vice where it goes to an extreme that it is crippling probably gone too right you know and it's funny because like i noticed that tendency in myself the 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 the, you know borderline ocd tendency um you know i like to have things a certain way it's it's not so bad that like i can't function if it's not but it's like i certainly like it that way but i do notice myself like if there's like a pen like on the desk, I feel compelled to like straighten it and have it be vertical with like you know like I I have those those tendencies. So yeah, you, I don't know if you noticed we were out li- out last night having dinner and I had rearranged my place setting to be perfectly sat at the bottom yep. based off the thing. Yep. And I'm like, people probably think I'm absolutely crazy <laughs> over here. <laughs> and I was just like, well, well, why wouldn't you do this, right? right? Like. It just, you know, it kind of goes in that heavily of orderliness thing. It's it's very much a – for me, it's like if I put things in relative order, it's just so much easier. At least I don't have to go back and try to find where I put something because, well, that's just never a good time. It's yeah. never where I put it, and that guy's <laughs> awful. Right. Did you, do, you, do you feel like um, – do you feel a sense of um, relief, like internal relief at seeing things that way? Because I do. Yes, yes. It very much is – it sounds weird. It's very much a peaceful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this really shows up for me in in my enjoyment of architecture. I very much enjoy, like, Frank Lloyd Wright because it, it's very minimalist. It's mid-century. It's, it's clean lines. Um, nothing is accidentally done. Right. It is yeah. hard order, very simplistic. Um, fun fun thing is if you, if you ever get a tour, some of his incredible – you know, architectural wonders, you'll notice there's no art on the wall. Mm-hmm. The, the the building itself, the, the internal, the internal design, everything, the thing is art. Mm-hmm. There, There's no portraits, no pictures on the wall. Um, and I, th- I think for me that very much shows up. And if yeah. I walk in something that is very like a modern art museum, for me, it's, it's very chaotic. Yeah. Yeah. Which is bizarre that I very much enjoy the impressionists. And maybe that's more of a, Poly reflects back to like disagreeableness, mm. right? Because it's it's not 
it's not chaotic to where it doesn't make sense. Right. But I think it, it kind of shows like the era where the impressionist came about was very much a disagreeable thing. Yeah. It's probably, probably part of a interesting thing to put a finger on exactly why. Sure. Sure. But yeah, that makes sense. I mean, that seems, that makes sense to me. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. I, uh, the like modern art and a lot of like, um, which is also strange because I, I really do like, uh, Jackson Pollock paintings i really do like there's something about those that i that I really connect with but um a lot of other stuff really creates a sense of unease and break down jackson pollock i don't i've probably seen some of the works but i'm yeah, not exactly I mean, familiar so early american painter if i remember correctly um and he really popularized this this um I think he would basically put a canvas on the floor and and throw paint. Yep, that's that's it. And so, depending on the color scheme, I can really like it or or maybe not be so much of a fan of it. Um, there's some that I really really like. Yeah, I think I've. It's, it seems like this style, this this means of creating art. I think I've seen it, you know, on 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 different, you know, on the internet places where people like, you know, tie a paint bucket and spin a mm. thing and it's their take of, of it seems like what was being done. And I just think it's, yeah, like it, it appears disorderly. Mm -hmm. Right. But I think kind of what, yeah, it's just interesting and, and color. And like, I think, you know, that's what makes art and the individual interesting is the way that you look at something or engage in art, like two people can see, some, I mean, everybody sees something different when they look at art right? and somebody might really like it. Somebody might not like it. And I think looking at personality tests, like that's kind of what we're saying here is like a person is, is so interestingly constructed from, mm -hmm. from just a personality perspective, right? When you, yeah. when you look at where people fall, it's like some people might be close on a few things, but it's, they're probably vastly different on other things. Yeah. And it's funny cause this, this entire weekend, um, you know, we've been having a lot of different conversations both on air and and not and one of the things that i think has kind of been a recurring theme at least that i found myself saying is um the human experience is so varied you know it's so different from person to person and so that just kind of reminded me of you know what it is we're talking about yeah and to move on here i think this kind of goes into like learning about the human experiences um extrovert being an extrovert right enthusiasm or assertiveness yeah and you think about enthusiasm right is you know making friends easily or hard to get to know people or you keep people away or you warm up quickly yeah and right i think a, a very instrumental part of 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 really learning about like human experience and talking to people or, or traveling and we might have mentioned this in a previous episode or a side conversation I was having is when you get to travel and either go to sports games or go to a coffee shop or just walking up and down the street and just bump in and start talking to people or you go into a bookstore or something is one, you find out all across America, at least, you know, people are relatively, relatively similar, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. But they're also so vastly different. Right. And it's, it's so fascinating because, you know, if, if you're someone who just wants to keep their head down and walk really fast to the next place and next place, like you miss so much of, oh, I think what's going around. And like I mentioned, one of my favorite things to do is, is look at architecture. 
because you look at buildings and you look at cities and you look at, you know, the way they're constructed and, and like you go through different, different parts and you see like how, how, how different times period, time periods, how that's reflective in architecture and like what that architecture indicates about ideology and philosophy. And you take the, the environment of that city and the culture. Um, I was in Pittsburgh recently, right? Known as the steel city. Um, obviously there's a lot of steel used in architecture. They were, they produced most of the steel used in World War II to create, you know, the, 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 the battleships and all, all the ships used. And it's, it's evident, right? And it's, it, it really shows up and it's like, and then talking to the people, there's, you know, there's this interestingness of, they kind of represent like this blue collar, not, not full blue collar, but not full white collar. This interesting, like they're very blue collar, but they're also very like, they don't have a problem being, I don't want to say fancy or posh, but they don't have a problem of, of being a little bit more formal. Right. And it, yeah. it just fascinating to see how like, what a city, how people in that city kind of resemble that city's identity. Right. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, it's absolutely true. And you see that in, um, in, you know, different places that you go, you know, the funny thing is like under extroversion, I'm way, way low on extroversion. Um, it's been something that I've had to work on. And I think once again, going back to, to sales, sales has honestly taken all of these ones that I'm either really high or low in and has really balanced them out for me. And that's, you know, I had to do that with, with, um, with extroversion because I'm really introverted. And so being forced in a situation where it's like, well, you don't get to be super introverted when you're in sales. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think the, the last point on this one here is, you know, assertiveness, uh, taking charge or letting someone else take charge, right? Leader or follower or someone who's much more just happy go lucky or someone who sees something and goes, we need to do something. And you think about in organizations, you think about in your everyday life, how these are necessary, right? Even if, you know, you're very low on assertiveness, you're going to have to make a decision at some point, right? And at times you also need to know when it's safe to hold back your opinion. And I think, you know, these are, these are things under that idea of assertiveness that are, that are really important. And uh, I think to move on here to openness and intellect, like with intellect, you know, you've got people who want to avoid reading or avoid philosophical discussions. And then you've got people who love complex problems or are very good at formulating ideas quickly. And that's probably, you know, very reflective. If somebody's not into reading or philosophical, they're probably not going to go on and get a PhD, mm -hmm. right? That, right. That's, that is not going to work. They're, that's just not the correct avenue. Right. They might be someone who's very good at coding or they want to learn a, a trade or a craft. And it's like, it's again, I think we said here, it's not that these are somehow an indictment that you're not right. so-called a, a good person, but right. it's like these, these are important because as we look at the past, like these help you understand kind of like, this is a description of kind of what's seen. Right. Yeah. Well, and yeah, I think that's, that can't be stated enough. <clears throat> the, um, this isn't an indictment on anybody. This isn't a, um, well, if you're this, then you're not as good as this, right? This is more saying it's like, what is the best, you know, what are you going to be best suited for? What is going to make you happiest given your, your temperament, your personality? And, um, you know, the, uh, the idea of like openness and, and intellectual, um, 
pursuits. I mean, that's the reason that we're having this entire this entire podcast is that, you know, every time that we wind up getting together, we have, you know, a weekly phone call, we wind up having discussions about ideas like this. And, you know, I think that we've kind of felt like, well, it doesn't seem like there's just a, a normal, it's just like everyday, you know, a couple of everyday people who are just like trying to have these discussions, maybe doing it imperfectly, but, but at least attempting to have the discussions and, and get to the, the whys behind everything. And I think the way that, that this kind of ties back into our overarching theme of like, what does it mean to be a good man? Is there such a thing as a good man? Um, is that the idea of knowing, like, this applies to all people, you know, male or female, but um, the idea of, since we're, since we're specifically talking about, about men, um, the idea that you need to, you can't afford to not be aware of who it is that you are and how it is that you operate in the world in the way that you affect others. Like you're going to be more, um, competent and useful and you're going to be able to reach more of your potential if you have a better understanding of who it is that you are as a person, you know, and, and how it is that you can um, affect the world in a positive way. Yeah. And I think you hit on it there. I think you and I probably rank very high on, on intellect and openness because part of the openness subcategories are enjoying nature, enjoying beauty, like creative outlets. Um, you enjoy music. Um, I mentioned it with, with architecture is there, there's such an important part of culture. Um, I've often heard art and I think it's obvious is it's reflective of culture and it's generally like new art is generally reflective of culture or it's, I would say it's prophetic of where culture is going in five years, in, in five years. And then if you go back to museums or you look at, you know, buildings built decades before or whatnot is, is you, is you start to see how those buildings really start to reflect the culture and time it was built. And that's just like, a, you know, an interesting, more philosophical, which of course, if I'm rather right. open to philosophical, <laughs> that would make sense that I went on yeah. that tangent. But I think to kind of wrap this up and-, and I do have a question for you. Yeah. Um, so why is it that you think that so many of these things that we've discussed are um, typically not seen as like uh, areas in which men are-, are uh, particularly engaged, you know, things like art, things like, um, you know, music is, is a little bit of a mixed bag, but, um, you know, things like art, things like, uh, like those endeavors, why is it that you think that maybe there's, um, a stigma around, um, men's engagement in that? It probably goes back when we talked about like those three archetypes, mm -hmm. right? It, it seems like in culture, the the pushed things are are the you know the basketball player right the, the athlete or the 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 alpha male the the lawyer the attorney the stock trader right these like stereotypical just hard alpha hard alpha like you know representations and i think then on the other side we really don't ever see characters or personalities of the like of of a jordan peterson or people that are good with those crafts or i'm saying more intellectual can understand it and really pull out and draw out art i think part of it is we've we've lost the importance of symbolism oh or, yeah or 
or hand or crafts or things made by hand. And there's, there's been an incredible resurgence. Um, I, for myself, I'm, I'm a good sucker for like a, an incredible woodworking or, or video where, where tactile things are done or, or someone's carving something. Cause it's, it's fascinating to watch the process. I think there is the, the interest and the draw. Cause I mean, who hasn't been to a chainsaw competition, you know, like growing up in the, in the Northwest, like, I mean, that's what you do, I suppose, you know, like that's kind of like the, the Northwest small town thing. And it's even there, you see people carving things with chainsaw. That's art. Oh yeah. But yeah. it's, it's probably presented in a way that seems very easy to engage. Cause you're like, oh, chainsaw macho. Right. right? Yeah. And so it might even be a, a misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. I think, think by the way things are represented. And I think the more you start to develop or, or really grow and, and work on yourself and start to get more interested in areas where you might not be as high, you really start to understand the importance of art. Yeah. Well, one of the things that kind of comes to mind, <clears throat> and we've we've had this discussion before about like, you know, how to be uh, an intriguing, interesting person. You know, as a guy... Like, I understand why the tendencies are, like, we all have that, like, stereotype in our head of, like, super macho, like, gym rat dude. It's very, like, one-dimensional. I have this one thing that kind of I um, identify with, and that's my personality. That's that's who I am, right? And the thing that I've always found interesting is, like, if it's important to you to work out and and that's your, your, your thing, right? Or maybe you're, you know, into... Um, you you're really into sports right like these very typical um stereotypical uh male interests it doesn't mean that you can't also be interested in other things and that's the thing that i think kind of gets missed is like i i love you know music um but i like i rebuild engines and work on cars and like love american muscle you know i love football right like i can spend hours watching football um i also love to go to art museums and travel and so it's like they're not mutually exclusive and i think that's the thing that i've always found really interesting is it's like if you're going it's like in order to be considered in quote you know masculine like you have to be in one camp and that's and that's just that and it's like well that's ridiculous like you can it doesn't make other things exclusive you know it's like you can incorporate those into your into your interests and i think make yourself a much more like well-rounded and an interesting person yeah you said it earlier right these are a description not a prescription right yeah and i think like what we've talked about kind of like how people's professional vocation gets tied and it becomes almost this prescription of because I have X profession, I can only care about those things. Mm -hmm. We're not saying it's not important. What we're saying is as that development and growth, the more well-rounded you are, the, you know, the old jack of all trades, you know, I saying, or, you know, back in the day, you know, the old show 24 Jack Bauer, right? Oh yeah. Like the ability to be competent and know a lot of skills, it makes you, one more useful, but it also allows you to, to engage in more useful things. Right. And I see it as another way is you get to meet all sorts of interesting people Mm -hmm. that you will never meet otherwise. Right. Like there's, there is popularly, um, like certain groupings of personality types in certain careers, very common. And it's like, well, those interesting people in a different career field or a different interest as well. And it's like, 
they, you know, we've, we've said this before, they might know something or have a different perspective on the human experience that I don't know about just because I'm not wired that way. So it would probably be worth my while to, to engage with others. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to talk about thinking about others or, or the present, right? Is kind of move along here is, is at a point, right? You, you've got to, you've got to take account, right? You've got to take, you've got to take an assessment or really inventory of where you're at currently. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think you, you, you look at the past, you kind of figure out what sort of describing understanding things can you get from, from looking back. Mm-hmm. And then I think you can really start to understand the present and something that really stuck out to me was this idea of like a, a pond is understanding there's different sizes of ponds and you might be, you know, have a certain collection of skills and abilities and the, the highest potential that you can go makes you probably very successful in a medium size, you know, body of water or something. Mm-hmm. Just it's kind of like this idea of like a fish in the right pond. And when you, when you start to like take account and look at, okay, let's say I'm in this market and it's, you know, a medium sized sports market or a medium sized media market. Well, the highest that I can go in this career or this this potential endeavor is, you know, so high. Mm-hmm. It's it's starting to take account when you look back at where you are, the the education you've accumulated, the skills you've accumulated, the the contacts and people you know. For me, I start to it looks at this present of like you get to start to understand like your potential forward mm. because you've you're now taking stock. You're going, here's where I am currently. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, you know, I think that's, that's really interesting because so much of your decision on how to move forward is based on where you're at, you know? And it's like, for instance, if you're living in a rural town in, let's say you're in West Texas, you know, and you're in a rural, small little town and you're like, well, I need to be, um, or it's my dream to be like, I don't know, like a five-star chef, like a, like a mission chef. Right. Um, and you live in a town of, you know, 500 people. Yeah. You have to start rethinking like, okay, well taking stock of where I'm at, realizing there's probably no restaurants around here, probably gonna need to move to Dallas. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, before that, right. This is that idea of like, well, you got to get qualified. Mm-hmm. You need, like, I don't imagine large, you know, wildly fine dining in a, in a really small town. Mm-hmm. You know, it's your options or potential are limited. And it's like, you're going to have to to leave and go somewhere to, to get training, get qualified, right? You either need to go find somewhere where you can, you know, work up through the ranks as a, you know, you know, just the sous chef cutting mm-hmm. up veggies, right? And then maybe you get to start preparing some dishes or whatnot, or, or maybe you need to go to a cooking school. And that's part of, I think, like you're saying, like, and we're going to kind of with that idea of like the future, like looking, looking to where you want to go, that, that vision, that, that place forward is you have to take stock and realize, okay, here's what I all have. Okay. My, my goal is, and I think to kind of look at the, the idea of the future is if I want to, if I want to be a five-star mission star chef, okay, that's my goal. I've identified it, right? And now, now you have something to aim at, right? And you go, okay, well, I, I kind of know how to cook, but like to be a mission star chef is like, you know, top of the top. Um, 
you're not just gonna, you know, graduate cooking school and then Friday go go work at a Michelin star right. restaurant. Yeah. I mean, maybe as a dishwasher. Yeah. Like, I don't mean to be condescending, but like that's the top of the top. Um and so there's a there's a step. And I think part of that taking stock of the present is like you gotta look at it as like, okay, I've identified the goal and then I need to work backwards. I, I call it the like the idea of a recipe. Like, okay, my dream job is X. Okay. I know the general norm to accomplish that dream job is I need I need this educational degree. I need these industry certifications. I need X amount of years of experience. Okay, guess what? I look at it as like that analogy with the GPS. I now have some waypoints. Right. right? Yeah. I have a place to go, to work on, to get to the thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that one of the things that makes this particularly difficult for um, young men <clears throat> is that we've kind of moved past this this um it used to be that you used to have like a mentor right and people used to be more engaged in 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 being in, engaged with where it was that that young men were and where it was that they wanted to go and being able to help them kind of evaluate their skill sets and their their hopes and dreams and goals and all those things and that's kind of gone by the wayside you know like i don't really have uh, a mentor who has has really been involved in, in helping me kind of map my career. And it seems like that used to be something that, that was more, more prevalent. And so, you know, in the way that this winds up relating to, to young men, it's like, it's very hard to to map out like what it is you want to do with your life. It's very difficult, especially when you're young, you know, it's like, you're trying to figure a lot of different stuff out. And, um, you know, one of the things that, that is going to be helpful is having a clear and accurate take of the present yeah and i think like we we started is is i would i would encourage like the sooner you understand personality and things you're more wired from a neurological right perspective of going okay i'm set up more to you know be an analytical person who doesn't want to engage with people as much i'm not as high as being an extrovert i'm very good at solving complex problems okay great now, you can be an engineer, be an accountant, mm-hmm. be, be something. Like, it starts to work itself out. Because the worst right. thing to do is, you know, you you engage in something, you spend time getting qualified, putting money, time, yeah. and then you realize, oh, no. yeah. But I think in another way, right, it's at least if you did that, at least you go, well, I know what I don't want to do. Right. That's and, a start. Right. That's a start. At least, and then too, it's, we've all had those jobs that are we thought we would love and enjoy, and you go, oh, that was awful. You do learn a lot, though. You learn a lot of transferable skills, and I think to to look at you know the future or where you want to go, right, is like this. This thing is a very well known uh, writer. He came up with this idea called a B Hagger, the big hairy audacious goal. It's kind of like this long term, compelling, very like thing that is so crazy and big that it that it inspires you as a person to kind of set things up, right, to to build those waypoints or that, as I said, like a recipe or something to to really aim at of how to get there because if one, you have no aim, you know, Mm -hmm. you're going to just kind of do whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that I've definitely seen. And I've, I mean, I've experienced before, you know, in my, in my own life. Um, and you know, it's really difficult to, to figure out like, well, what is it that I want to do? What is it that I want to, you know, end up achieving? And sometimes I think it's helpful to break that up into um, not looking at it in terms of like, well, 
like what title or job am I am I actually looking for? It's it's more in terms of like um what is important to me and what is it that I want to accomplish big picture in the world. You know, if like you can break that down to a while back we were reading the book Start with Why, right? And we we had this conversation about establishing like our whys. And the thing that um Huh. Okay. Never mind. That's uh, uh, that's right there on the back of the page. Uh, no, I, I love where you're going. There, yeah. Um. And so you know, we had this um, this conversation about establishing um what it is that we want to do, and but why we want to do it. Like, what is the underlying motivating principle? You know. And I remember uh, having this conversation with you, and you were asking me like, well, why is it that you want to be involved in in music, like as a as a music producer? And, you know, when you stop and think about that, it's it's kind of difficult because like there's just that internal motivation, right? It's just that thing that's kind of pulling you due north. But then when you actually stop and give it a name and figure out like what the the reasoning is behind it, that becomes very like clear and helpful. And it's like, I remember telling you, I was like, I had this realization that like, oh, m- music, people don't think about music the way that, that I think about music, like my, my, the amount of impact that music has had on my life is, is different than it is for most people. And, and my way of looking at it is like, okay, well, if I can give and contribute to other people the way that music has given and contributed to me, then that would make my endeavors really, really meaningful. You know, and it's like, I wasn't aware of that until you sit down and actually dig into like, okay, but why, what is the underlying motivation? Yeah. And that's something I've really noticed get like way too overused in the last five, six years is like the why, the why, the why. And it's, it's very, very common that people describe a what as a why, which is the end product. And it's, it's fascinating because in the, in that exercise you're referencing, you very much do a, a a reflective past look at things Mm -hmm. and then you you start reducing down to well i well i enjoy music and then you just keep hammering and and reducing it down to a very simplistic refining process and then once you do it everybody that i've personally walked through that exercise with you can tell the minute they figure it out Mm -hmm. because i swear there's a there's a visible light bulb that clicks on above their head and then all of a sudden i like to think of like this is you know, we've talked about being, you know, out in the woods with you, like it'd be out in the woods with a lantern. Right. You've got beams and you're looking everywhere. And all of a sudden, when you figure this, this future, this vision for a path, path forward, it's like somebody handed you an incredibly bright, bright flashlight with an incredible tunnel of light mm-hmm. that points forward. Yeah. And when people figure that out, all of a sudden, the decisions they make and start to make seem to seem to have an aim and a a process because now they're not running around trying to do all these things. They're very, they're focused towards an aim and a thing that is very real and it comes from the core of who they are. Right. Yeah. And I, I think that's a good place to, uh, to wrap up this episode here is, is the importance of your knowing your past, the present and how that feed all works together, feeds into the uh, future. Uh, this has been the imperfect discourse podcast. Listen next time as we discuss the educated man. As we continue to discuss the question, is there such thing as a good man?